to this message, you will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Heartsease Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. I said, are you happy today? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. This is truly the day that you have made. And as your word declares, let us be glad and rejoice in it. God, we're not going to be sad. We're going to be glad in you. We're going to praise you today. We're going to magnify you. We're going to love you today. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Today I want to give you three key principles that I believe are so important in your Christian walk, in your Christian life. These are three key principles of Christian living. And these are not just something that I came up with. These are things, three distinct principles that come from God's Word. As Josh has said, we are now seven days into our fast. For some, it's maybe been a great struggle. For others, it's been a struggle, but yet the rewards have outweighed the sacrifice. And that always needs to be our focus, the reward, not the sacrifice. But I know in my life that I have felt so close to God this week as I've just sought God and prayed the usual times that I would be eating. I'm in here eating the Word of God and I'm worshipping God with praise and worship and I'm just loving on God. These chairs have been prayed over so many times this week and they're going to be prayed over or last week and they're going to be prayed over again this week. Where you're sitting right now, I've prayed this week that you're going to feel God in a new way today. I've prayed that every chair beside you, look at the empty chairs around you today. Can you see a soul? I said, can you see a soul? Can you cry out to God to fill that chair with someone? You know what? I haven't only cried out for the empty chairs. I've cried out for the chair you're sitting in because I've cried out that these chairs will be filled every Sunday morning two and three times as we have to go into multiple services to house all the people. Don't shout me down. Come on. I said, amen. We're going to see God do great things. But you see, greatness comes as a result of our lives being in tune with God. A lot of people on that board have asked this request, a great request. But their request is to have a closer walk with God. That they would have a closer walk with God. The Word of God says, draw nigh unto me, and I will draw nigh unto you. Draw nigh unto me, God says, and I will draw nigh to you. So when we want a closer walk with God, the problem is many of us just pray that prayer and do nothing else about it. We've got to move. Come on, we've got to move. We're going to talk about that next week because the Bible says that we've got to walk worthy of the calling of Christ Jesus. Come on, abounding in good works. So we've got to walk worthy. So when we say, God, I want a closer walk with you, it's not just a prayer we pray. It's an act that we need to live. We need to start living. We need to start laying aside sin and those things that so easily beset us, the Bible says, that we can run that race that God has for each one of us. So today, yes, I want to talk about fasting, but I want to bring into play two other key players or two other main principles that I believe need to accompany fasting in the life of a believer. And there's no better place that we could go to find how to live than from Jesus himself, the life giver. Jesus preached a message called the Sermon on the Mount, known where he presents to us the Beatitudes. If you would read in Matthew chapter 5 and get your Bibles ready, because we're going to go to Matthew chapter 6 in a few moments and take some verses from Matthew chapter 6. But in Matthew chapter 5, we see from verse 3 through 12 that Jesus lists down the Beatitudes, the attitudes that need to be present in each one of our lives. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the humble, blessed are those, and blessed are those when you keep going, when people revile you. And, And there's the Beatitudes that are listed there. But you've got to understand the message is not concluded after verse 13. 
In fact, chapter 5, 6, and 7 are part of the whole same message. And specifically in chapter 6, I believe, and we will see, that Jesus identifies three key principles that needs to be present in every one of our lives. You see, when Jesus came and taught on this earth, he saw a lot of opposition because the things he taught were in conflict to the things of this world. Jesus said, you don't just go one mile, that's obligation. Jesus said, you go a second mile. Come on. And Jesus didn't say, just go the second mile. Jesus said, live in the second mile. Jesus came with teachings that really set on edge all those other things. But look what he says in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says these three key principles, and this is what we're going to talk about today. When we give, when we pray, and when we fast. Say them with me. Give, pray, and fast. Key principles for every one of our lives. Let's look at the first one today, the principle of giving. Matthew 6 and verse 2, beginning, says these words, Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, in other words, when you give, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. For assuredly, I say unto you, they have had their reward. Verse 3, but when you do a charitable deed when you give. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Or as I said on Wednesday night, for those who are left-handed, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. You okay? You still with me? Let's read on. Verse 4. That your charitable deed, when you give, may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Amen. I'm going to say amen for that. I like that. Come on, you can help me out here. If there's something that you hear or something that touches your spirit while I'm preaching, you can shout preach, brother, or you can jump up on your feet and say amen, or you can say, oh, oh my. Come on, the gospel's supposed to be responsive. Come on, there's a response that's demanded from the gospel. I said, and what the Father sees in secret, He will reward you in the open. Hallelujah. I'm glad of that. So what do we see there? We see that a Christian will be a giver. That as a Christian, we will be a giver. Why? Because that's a principle that Jesus has established that needs to be a part of my everyday life. Towards the end of the year, last year, we talked about the blessed life, an incredible series that I pray that you are still meditating on and that you are still allowing to become real to your life. But we talked about the blessed life in the way that we give in our tithes and in our offerings. But as we talk about giving and having a blessed life and the principle of giving, we've got to understand it's not only to God. First to God. First to God. First fruit. He is first. But then our giving also needs to be others around us. Giving should be a part of our everyday lives. And it's more than just tithing. I believe that's the starting point. That's the foundation that we have laid. And there needs to be a laying point. If you have not tithed and come into that place where you're given to God your 10%, listen, you are robbing yourselves. And I just read this again this week. You are placing a curse upon you and your family. That's not my words. That's God's words. He says, you are cursed with a curse. Because you have robbed me. What have we robbed? The ability for God to move in our lives. Come on, God gives us principles for what reason? To open up our lives to the blessings of God. Giving is a principle that will open you. Well, pastor, I can't afford to give. You cannot afford not to give. 90% goes a lot further when it's blessed than 100% that's not blessed. Give God his first fruit, his portion, and the promise from God's word is he will redeem the rest. So we know, therefore, that giving is, as we talked about tithes, and it is about offerings, but it's more than just that. 
It talks about also charitable deeds. It's also giving of our time, giving of our energies, giving of our service, surrendering our lives, giving of our love. Do you know that also a giving is fasting? It's an act of giving. I know that we have talked about her a lot lately. But I believe that she is worthy of the attention that we have given to her. The lady with the two coins. The widow who came in and just placed what most would say nothing in an offering basket and walked away, probably embarrassed that that was all she had to give. But yet that caught the attention of God. That day Jesus said, you've missed something. That's really what he said to his disciples. You've missed something today. Aren't you glad that Jesus has his way of pointing to us so many times the things that we have the tendency to miss? If we'll just hear his voice, we can see those things that we would so often miss and let us pass or pass us by. And Jesus said, this lady today is given more. They couldn't understand that. But when you see what she gave, you've got to understand that she gave much more than what the law required. Even if she had two coins, the law only required that she gave 10% of that. But the Bible tells us that she gave everything that day. There was some reason that day that she gave it all. But what was that reason? I've looked and I've asked and I've prayed. and The only thing I can see, and the only conclusion I can come to that day, the reason she gave it all was because she wanted to. Because she wanted to. That there was a complete willingness inside of her spirit that she gave unto God freely. And in her case, completely. She had such a love for him that she gave because of her love. What an incredible thought. A principle to live by giving. I don't think any principles that God gives to us, he wants to force upon us. We know He won't force them upon us. He won't go against our will. We know that. But God wants us to walk in these principles and others that we will see in God's Word. Why? Because of the love that we have for Him. Because of the desire that we have. I've got this written down in the front of my Bible and I've said it before. You can give without love, but you cannot love without giving. As you love God, as you fall in love with God, you're going to give. That's just a principle that you're going to find yourself living by. But unfortunately, I truly believe there is such a key source, a source here that many of us Christians fail to understand and tap into. There's a well of wealth that many of us have not bored down deep enough into because the Christian life should never be a life that just does enough to scrape by and just make it what an insult that is to God when we read of such verses as John 10 verse 10 where he says that I have come that you may have life and we know how he provided that life for us but yet we would live as we do what a slap in the face of a God who gave everything that we could experience everything in him You see, there's such a source of blessing that can be released into your life through your willingness to give to God. A giving that God promises will produce open rewards. We read it, but look at it again. Matthew 6 verse 4. But when you give in secret, your heavenly Father will reward you openly. I mentioned at the beginning when I talked about giving that fasting was an act of giving. 
And if you don't agree with me, you obviously haven't fasted this week. Because it's giving of something that's a struggle sometimes. It's a given of something that you have to refocus yourself many times a day because your flesh man begins to cry out louder than your spirit man. It tries to control your spirit man and you have to push it back down again and let that spirit man raise up inside of you. It's a giving. But it's a giving in secret that God says will be rewarded in open. It's a given once again for the best of God in our lives. As we fast and give, I believe it unclutters our lives from the things of this world. It's seeking Him first. It's His way. It's His plan that will result in all things being added back to you. Look at the end of Matthew 6 verse 33. It says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. And His righteousness. Aren't you glad it says His righteousness and not your righteousness? (laughs) Because many of us, myself included, our righteousness sometimes is not the greatest. But it's in Him. Come on, say that with me. In Him. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. The goodness of God. And all these things will be added to you. A blessed life gives in order to obtain more. Can you see why the principles of God are perhaps strange and they came into such opposition back then? Because how can you receive more if you give? It just kind of seems strange, doesn't it, that you have 10 eggs in your basket and you give one because that's your tithe, but yet now you've got more than you had before. In the natural, you can look and say, duh, no, I don't, I have nine. But God says that's what you see with the natural. But when you give, you open up your life, listen to me, to the supernatural. Come on, you didn't catch that today. In the natural, you may still just have nine eggs. But in the supernatural, God is able to multiply those things beyond your wildest dreams. And you know what? You may not need another egg. God may say, I'll just give you a chicken. Come on, say it, amen, in the house. Shout, that's supernatural blessings. That's supernatural blessings, I said. That's the fact. When we follow the principles of God, we open up our lives to the blessings of God. That's why Jesus said these words. This world is not your own. Come on, what does it say? We're just pilgrims passing through. Come on, we're of another world. That's what Jesus said, that we're children of light. But we've got to start walking as children Blessed life, given in order to receive more. It's not foolishness as most consider it to be. But I believe it's foolishness not to live by the principle of giving. I've said this before, but a hand that's open in giving is a hand that is positioned open to receive. A hand that will not give and clench to the is a hand that God himself cannot supernaturally fill with his blessing. Are you a giver? Do you look for ways to give? You know how you can give? Open the door for someone. You know how you can give? Hey, I'll take your shopping cart back to the corral. One thing I hate, come on, as children of God, take your shopping carts back. Come on, I can't stand that. Take your shopping carts back. Be a practical Christian. If you get something off a shelf on aisle 5, don't put it back on aisle 12. Because if it was meant to be on aisle 12, they would have placed it on aisle 12. Go back to aisle 3 where you got it from and put it back. Well, I'm giving someone job security. Whatever. Believe that all you want. You've just been dishonorable in your life. Come on, God has called us to be a giver. Perhaps there's someone at your work. Take them out for lunch. In the line at McDonald's, grab one of the cards for our church. 
out in the lobby area. They need to all be going every week. Grab a CD. I'm really going to be putting a push on our CDs in the next few months. We're going to buy another duplicator that we can double. I want to see 100 to 200 CDs go out of this house every Sunday morning. For what reason? Yes, for you to listen to again, but for you to give out to people. When you're in McDonald's and you're the drive-thru, give it to the lady and say, listen, I just want to bless you with something. Listen to this. This will touch you. Or turn around and say to them, you know what? I want to pay for that person behind me. I've done it before. I want to pay for their food behind me. Can I pay for their food? And give them this card and a CD and just tell them that there's someone that loves them and cares for them. Be a giver. It's a principle of life that will bless your life. Say with me, when you give, when you give. Giving to God anything is never something given in vain. How do I know this? When you get home today, read the end of Matthew chapter 25. Because they said, God, we didn't see you naked. We didn't see you empty. We didn't see you. And Jesus said these words, whosoever gives unto the least of these is given unto me. You see, when you give anything, a kind word, a smile, you're tired. When you give anything, it does not go unnoticed by God. Because literally you are given to God. The principle of giving. The second principle we see is the principle of prayer. Matthew 6 verse 5 says, and when you pray, again, don't be like the hypocrites who stand praying and they have all these wordy prayers that they want to be seen because Jesus once again says, you've already received your reward by man, not by God. But what does he say? But true prayer that you will see in verse 6 is that when you do it in secret, God says, I will reward it openly. If you were to look further in Matthew chapter 6, you would see from verse 9 through 13, there is a passage that we have labeled as the Lord's Prayer. That Jesus teaches them how to pray. The model of prayer or guidelines to pray. And as I began to look at that today, and we're not going to teach on it today, but it was very interesting to me that more than half of that prayer is in reference to praising and worshiping God and giving Him honor. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Come on, that's a big portion. Half of the prayer is about honoring and praising God. And then it also talks about others. Forgive us as we forgive those. So it deals with God, others, and ourselves. Prayer, prayer. Prayer is a struggle still to many Christians. I said this Wednesday night, Billy Graham was asked on Larry King Live, what's your biggest struggle, the biggest opposition that you face in your life? And Billy Graham said these words, to pray. Now you would be amazed. I I was shocked when I heard that, but he followed it up with why it is a struggle. He says, because when I begin to pray, everything else comes against me. The cell phone, this, that, everything else seems to take that place and seems to come up when you begin to pray. If you don't believe me, start to pray. Start to pray. But we need to pray. It's a principle of Christian living. If you don't pray, listen, you don't really have a relationship with God. Because prayer is conversating and talking with God. How can you say you have a relationship with God and you don't know anything about Him? But how do you discover the things of God? Through prayer and reading His Word and seeking His face, talking to God and letting Him talk into your life? There's a power in prayer. Listen to me. When ordinary people pray, extraordinary things take place. Prayer changes things. As one person said, it's amazing how many coincidences begin to happen when someone begins to pray. No coincidence. Because as we live by the principle not only of giving, but the principle of prayer, Things will take place in our lives. They don't just happen. You, you just don't happen to have found this church. You don't just have happened to find salvation. Someone prayed for you. Someone prayed for you. That means that there's people across that street that may never find this church or another church if we are not praying for them to find Christ. Oh, but I don't know them. You don't have to know someone to pray for them. As we said on Wednesday night, just lift your hand, aim and release. Just pray. You could be driving down the street. Just pray for houses on your left. Houses on your right. Pray for the kids at the bus stop in the morning. Pray over those that you're around. 
You don't have to know them. God knows them. But prayer releases. Things happen when we pray. The problem is today, the church is just a shell of existence of what it should be. Why? Because the church has forgotten how to pray. Pray is... Praying is not, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul. I've prayed, Pastor. There's food that we're about to receive. All these prayers that we can have. Prayer is spending time with God. Here's the problem that we have with prayer. We've made prayer so one-dimensional. And as a result, it's just become boring. You've got to realize this, prayer is multifaceted. There's so many multifacets of prayer. It's not just what we have perhaps made it. If you would look through the Word of God, you will see examples of what prayer is. Do you know through the Word of God we see that prayer is praise? Do you know that seeing through the Word of God, prayer is also worship? There should be a time of praise and worship that's in your prayer time. That's what Jesus was showing them in that model prayer. Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. What is that? That's a cry of praise and worship unto God. How many of you praise and worship in your prayer? That's a prayer. That's a part of praying. The Bible tells us that prayer is also a time of crying. That can be a kind of double whammy right there because it's crying out to God. I cried unto the Lord and he heard me. But also it can be a time of brokenness where you're just broken and you pour out your heart and you literally weep and you cry out to God and say, God, I need you. I cry that you would help me. There's a cry like that that God says he will never turn a deaf ear on, but he will always hear. David said, I cried out unto the Lord. And he heard me. And he delivered me from all my fears. Prayer can be a time of stillness. Be still and know that I am God. Just a time of stillness. Takes us to the second time, a time of meditation, a pondering, not where you cross your legs in yoga style and hold your hands out. That's not the meditation we're talking about. But it's like what Mary did when the angel came to her. She was so overwhelmed with all these things that she kept them in her heart and she pondered them over. She began to muse on those things. She began to regurgitate literally those things and what? rediscover the truth and meaning for her life. Some of us need to just meditate and pray and seek God. James 5 verse 16 says, and this is a prayer that James says can be effective. James says, if you would read with me 5.16, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual or the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. Let me read that again. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You see, when our prayer is one-dimensional, we don't really pray. No prayer, no effectiveness. But as we begin to realize there's other facets to prayer, calling out to God, being still, worshiping Him, praising Him, meditating, the dimensions of prayer, we will begin to realize that there is an effectiveness that can be released into our lives. So let me quickly answer to you, what is effective prayer? Come on, what is effective, fervent prayer? What do we see from these verses or this verse that we've just read that would make it effective and fervent? Number one, prayer is transparent. Effective prayer is transparent. If you would read in the beginning of that verse once again, it says, confess your faults or your sins one to another. Now, I don't believe that the Word of God is telling us that we should go and find people and confess our sins to everyone around us. For this reason, and this is why I believe it, because if I confess my sins to Trey, the only thing that happens is he looks at me bad because he can't do anything to help me. Trey's not my Savior. Come on, Trey's not my Savior. But what I believe it shows each one of us is there needs to be a transparency in our prayer life. 
It shows an openness in prayer before God. Being genuine with God. I love this verse on prayer. It's Psalms 145 verse 18. The Lord is near to all those who call upon him. We can stop there and shout amen and that's great. But we've got to read on because here's the meat of this verse. To all who call upon him in truth. I wonder how many of us lie in our prayer. Oh, not me, pastor. Yes, you. Oh, God, I thank you. You're so great. No, you don't think he's great. Come on, you're struggling right now. God, I think you're awesome. Oh, I'm so excited about church on Sunday. No, you're not. You don't even want to go because you're mad at God. Come on, do I have a witness in the house? You're not all holy in this house yet. Come on, we haven't made it to heaven yet. We're practicing, but we're not there yet. Come on, so many of us lie in our prayer that we tell God everything that we think he wants to hear instead of the things he wants to know. He wants to know what's going on inside of us. Why? Because the Bible says he already knows what we have need of, but he's waiting for us to ask him. Be real with God. You know, God, I really do love you and I know that you're worthy, but you know, God, I'm just struggling. This situation at work is just really bumming me out because I really trusted you and I really talk to God in truth. Come before him, reverence him and respect him. Yes, but honor him, do. Don't lie to him because the word of God says he'll hear those and he'll be near to those. But what ones? The ones who are truthful with God. Let your prayer be transparent. Look what David said in Psalms 39, verse 23 and 24. He said, search me, O God. That's a transparent prayer, wouldn't you say? Come on, I'm afraid for some of the things God may see in me. I don't know about you. I'm dealing with those and I'm letting God, but there's some things and areas in my life that are perhaps not the greatest. But David said, I'm going to be transparent. God, search me, oh God, and know my heart. Wow. What a prayer. Try me now and know my anxieties my thoughts. Verse 24, and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way that's everlasting. What an incredible prayer. What an incredible prayer. Do you think that's a prayer that God would hear over us standing up and say, God, everything's great. I'm giving you everything and I've surrendered everything to you. And and God, life couldn't be greater. God, you're so awesome. And then we walk on. I wonder what prayer God would honor the most. Search me, oh God. If there's any sin, if there's anything, try me now. When he's talking about trying, he was referring to the fact of being put in a furnace. A trying by fire. As they would separate silver, they would take the dross or the things, they would put it in a fire. And all the impurities would relieve that which is pure. Come on, David is saying, God, put me through the fire. Put me through the press. Put me through whatever. Why? Because I want to be fully transparent to you. How different would our lives be if we walked in a principle of prayer that was transparent before God? Remember the religious leader or the Pharisee that looked at the heathen and he said, I'm glad I'm not like him and I'm glad that I've got this and I'm glad that I'm doing that. And the Bible says that the heathen, the sinner, beat his chest and said, God, I'm unworthy. God, I'm unworthy. I'm a sinner. I'm unworthy. But the Bible says, what prayer did God hear? He heard the desperation. He heard the transparent prayer. God, I'm scum. I'm a sinner. I'm a failure. God, I've let you down. God, hears a prayer that's transparent. And a prayer that's transparent becomes effective. Not religious, but something real and relational. What else is effective prayer? Effective prayer is unselfish. James 5 verse 16 says, we confess and the next thing is pray for one another that you may be healed. Effective prayer is unselfish. So often we lose sight of the fact that we're a part of a world that's a whole lot bigger than us. The world doesn't just consist or revolve around you. There's a lot more going on than just you. Job went through terrible losses in his life. He lost everything save his wife. 
But the Bible says God restored to Job as twice as much as he had before. But you know how God restored back to Job? You read it for yourself in Job 42 verse 10. It says, and Job was all that which was restored back to Job when he prayed for his friends. Incredible. Oh God, I want you to do this. And I want, we go to God with a shopping list. What about the person around us? What about Amanda who lost her mother this morning? Can we make way of one of our selfish prayers to pray for her? When Solomon was crowned as king, God gave him the opportunity to ask for anything he wanted. Think about that. God said, I'll give you anything you request. And Solomon said, give me wisdom. Why did he want wisdom? So he could lead the people He wanted wisdom for other people. What an unselfish prayer. What an unselfish request. And you know what God said to a request like that? God says, I'm not only going to grant you wisdom, but God says, I'm going to give you everything else that you never even asked for. Wealth, riches, fame, all those things. Effective prayer is transparent. It's unselfish. It's giving. Do you notice how all these principles that we're going to talk about today overlap each other? Maybe you should consider others' needs as well as your own. Because as you do, Jesus will come to your house too. He'll give you your miracle. He'll come to your house as you're unselfish. Remember the lady with the issue of blood? She pushed through and touched Jesus. She hindered Jesus on the way to what? Jairus' house. His daughter was dying. Guess what? While Jesus was held up with a lady that was unimportant to him, a lady that he was upset with because she hindered Jesus, he got word, your daughter's dead. Tell him not to bother anymore. But you know what happened? Jesus looked at him and says, don't worry, I'm coming to your house too. You see, if you can rejoice in someone else's miracle, If you can be unselfish in your life and in your giving and in your prayer, can I tell you, Jesus is coming to your house too. He's coming to your house too. And lastly, effective prayer is authority. It's authority. Why is it authority? Because it's in the name of Jesus. A name that's above all other names. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. Can I tell you right now that that's not just future tense. That's already happened past tense. Satan has already had to bow before Jesus. He's already had to bow before him and say, you are the one. You are the one. Yes, one day he's going to bow again, but he already knows he's defeated. Acts 3 verse 6. Peter and John go into the temple and they said these words, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name. Come on, there's authority in prayer. In the name of Jesus, I pray right now that you would touch my child. In the name of Jesus, I pray right now for financial blessing upon my life. Come on, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. David stood before a giant and defeated him, not with a sling and with a stone, but in the name of Jesus. You come to me with swords and spears, but I come to you in the name. In the name. Come on, there's authority. God has given us great authority. God says that we can trample on the scorpions. We can drink and eat any deadly thing and it won't hurt us. How is that? Because he has given us authority. There's authority in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Authority is effective prayer. You see, we must never lose sight of its greatness. The greatness of prayer, the power source that it is, that which is able to make impossibilities possible. Prayer, effective prayer, will change things. And that's why we say when you fast, accompany your fasting with effective prayer, transparent. What's the next one? Thank you. Unselfish. And what's the last one? Authority. Come on, you need to know these. These are principles. will change your life. And lastly today, principle three. When you fast. Jesus says these words in Matthew 6, verse 16. 
moreover when you fast. I can't get past that word moreover because I believe that there are principles of giving and prayer that are great. But there's something here that I believe Jesus puts an exclamation mark to where he says, moreover. He's almost saying, and beyond those. Here's another realm. I heard a preacher say this this week and I thought it was powerful. He said, prayer connects us to God. But fasting disconnects us from the world. Isn't that powerful? Prayer connects us to God, and we need to be connected to God. But a lot of the times, we're still trying to be connected to the world. That's why fasting, I believe, is so important. It disconnects us. Verse 6 or 16 of chapter 6, Moreover, when you fast. I love what it says, and I'm not going to read it all through for the sake of time, but when you fast, you're not supposed to look miserable and depressed. You're supposed to look great and and do all... And the Bible says, once again, don't be like the hypocrites and tell everyone and go out and say, I'm doing this and I'm holy and I'm this and I'm that. The Bible tells us the same principle here. What? When you do it in secret, verse 18 says, God will reward openly. Openly. We know that fasting is refraining from food for spiritual purposes. I was reading in Jensen's book on fasting this week also, Pastor Franklin. He said these words, fasting is like a continual prayer before God. A prayer or a cry for help that comes from deep within our spirit. Here's some additional things I think we need to understand about fasting today. Number one, or first point, fasting is an awakening. Why do we fast? We fast for an awakening for our spirit. These are principles that we live by. When we give, when we pray, when we fast. Don't just allow two to be in your life when Jesus says there are three. When you fast, fasting is an awakening for your spirit, an awakening to a life of passion and love for God. A lot of us need an awakening in our life. Because if we were to look at our lives when we were first saved and where we're at right now, the passion is not the same. You see, this is what we look at. If we look at our relationship with God, most of us can only have this answer if we were to be asked, how is your relationship with God now versus what it was when you first got saved? You know what most of us would have to answer? The only difference or the main difference in our relationship now to what it was then is we've just got busier. We just got busier. My relationship has just got busier, not better. Because I'm trying to do this, and I'm trying to do that, and I'm trying to do this, and I'm just busy with all these other things. But what's happened beneath the busyness, the passion has gone. The desire is almost non-existent. Oh, there's perhaps occasions of bursts of excitement, but they're short-lived. I believe many of us today are a lot more religious than when we were when we first got saved. You may say, well, religion is a good thing. That's not a bad thing, Pastor. No, it's not. Religion put Jesus on a cross. Come on. Religion is man's way of doing things. Jesus came to break religion and to give us relationship. Relationship. We don't need a priest. We don't need someone that has to go in and wave some incense and and wave some beads and light some candles and bow a certain way and do all these kind of things. No disrespects, but we don't need that no longer. We have relationship that the Bible says boldly we can come to the throne of God. We can enter into his presence with fullness of joy. The Bible says that we can have a personal walk and understanding and life with God. Come on, we need an awakening once again to that personal relationship. We need that passion to rise again. We need religion to be pushed down and passion to rise up. We're good at going through the motions. Oh, this is the time we should lift our hands. Oh, this time, if you're really good, you can squeeze out a tear. Oh, this is the time, yeah, we just tip God with a couple of bucks. It's the offering time. We just tip him. Oh, this is the time, yeah, we smile at the pastor on the way out and shake his hand and say, great message. today." Come on, we know about going through all the motions. But what about underneath? Has the passion and desire been extinguished and gone out? 
I need an awakening in my life. It's what I've been crying out for. I want an awakening. I want when I open this word that it becomes so alive to me that I can't put it down. I want to get so lost in God that I just don't care about so many other things. I was telling Nancy this week, and we were talking about it. When Monday night came, I was looking forward to the national championship game. But you know what? I turned it off before the end. It just almost had lost all desire in me. As I was fasting and I was seeking God, there was something of greater importance in my life. I didn't say I didn't watch the game. I did. But you know what? There was just not the desire and the passion like there used to be. Now, listen, I'm not saying there's a sin in watching the game. I'm not saying that we're sinning because we enjoy doing this and we enjoy doing that. But you know what? When we begin to love God a whole lot more, you know what? Our passions and our desires will change. I read this this week. If we were able to handpick the location, the people, the cars, the belongings, the food, the wealth, the climate, if we were able to pick anything that we wanted and it was in our power to do so, and that be a heaven to us, the question was asked, would, be, would we be happy with all of that stuff if Jesus wasn't there? That's quite a question. Because when we're asked to pick what we would want in heaven, oh, give me this, 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 this. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus, of course. But is he, of course, or is it a second thought? You see, we've lost a passion. That I believe as we fast, there'll be an awakening once again in our life. That we'll fall in love with him. That's why we talked about in December, falling in love with God. Not the stuff, but the person of Jesus. I'm trying to finish today. I apologize. The next thing today is fasting takes us back to the source. Back to the love of our life. Read it in Revelations. It talks about, I see your good works. I see all these things. I see that you've done great things and you've given and you've done all these things. But I've got one thing against you. You've left your first love. Fasting brings us back to the source, Jesus. As we disconnect from the world and reconnect with him. Fasting breaks all molds molds of mediocrity. Oh, that would do. Fasting, I believe, makes passionate Christianity, again, the norm for every believer and not the exception. In the Old Testament, most of the times of fasting you read of were for those to repent and cry out to God for mercy. But as a result of the cross, the new covenant that we now live by or can live by, Jesus changed that completely. You cannot fast today, and neither should we fast, to obtain favor and blessing of God. Literally to manipulate God. If you think you're fasting to manipulate God, you're not going to do it. Why? Because we cannot obtain favor or forgiveness. The cross made only that possible to our lives. So therefore, fasting is not a time of trying to get the favor of God. Fasting is breaking that mold of mediocrity and realizing you have the favor of God upon your life. It's now time to live in it. It's time to live in his mercy and his forgiveness over your life. So therefore, because of the cross, now fasting is to celebrate his mercy. And his forgiveness. Why do I fast? To celebrate his mercy and forgiveness. Not to obtain it, but to celebrate it. He freely gave to us through our love relationship with him. In the New Testament, also under the new covenant, we see something else. That fasting now is about drawing close to God and surrendering your life at a deeper level. Jensen Franklin said these words, I don't believe you just stumble into the assignments of God. Those assignments have to have a birthing place. Listen to those words again. You don't just stumble into the assignments that God has for your life. Now, I know there are exceptions to every rule, but listen, as children of God, we're not called to live by exceptions. We're called to live by principle. 
So therefore, as I fast, I understand that every birthing place has an assignment. And I can discover that. Why? Because fasting is my womb of not only conception, but birthing. As I fast, God's going to place some things, some seeds, some dreams inside of you. But God is also going to use this time of fasting to birth those dreams and those assignments that he's already placed within you. You see, as we truly seek God, no matter where we are at on the Christian journey, we can always take another step closer to God. And that's the next thing that fasting is. Fasting is taking the next step. The next step. When I give, when I pray, and when I fast, the question today is, will these be principles that you will live by? Because if you desire to live according to His plan or in accordance to His plan, you won't overlook these key principles of living. Last scripture as I close. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 12. Solomon records these words in Ecclesiastes, which has been labeled the book of wisdom for Israel. And still is the book of wisdom that we can find strength from and direction from today. But in Ecclesiastes 4 verse 12, Solomon says these words, Through one, they may be overpowered though one may be overpowered by another. Two can withstand him. But the next part, I think, is just or the most important. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. The strongest rope that there is out there is not one strand. It's not two strands. But it's three strands that are woven together. You ask Bill the type of rope that they anchor their barges and their boats with out on the river. Going in the youth room or in the kids area, have a look at one of those ropes. It's about that thick. But you know what it is? It's three strands that are woven together. Because that's where the greatest strength is. Could Solomon perhaps be saying to every one of us in accordance to the principles that God says you can have one principle but you may be overpowered apply two and you may withstand but notice what he says put three in place and come on it's almost unbreakable you see when I give principle one when I pray when I fast that's three strands that have been woven in my life that is making me what God wants me to be. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard. But we also know it will be changed as you put God's word into effect. At Heart Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.